Like, given that they schemed to use Eddie Lacy, would they not just repurpose a defensive tackle? <laughs> So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be taking a look at news from around the league, some injuries, some changes, some contract extensions. We're going to have our mid-season review if we've now made it to the halfway point of this uh, 2016 season. We're going to take a look at some of the games from last week and then time permitting we might take a question before moving on to our picks for next week. So hey guys, we've got Connor here, we got Harry. Hey. And on the Skype is Ronan. Hello. Hi right, lads, only crack with yourselves, how are you getting on? Yeah, I'm grand. Uh, work's still mad, but uh, I think I'm going to be heading down to uh, get my tickets now for Hypnotic Brass Ensemble uh, next month. Yeah, should be good so fun. That'll now. be good fun. Are you going to pop along with that as well? I have a deed, I did. I dropped you a message earlier today saying I'm in. I'm in. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> Probably didn't see it because work is mm-hmm. just killing me right now, but yeah, they're always good crack. We go every year. They usually come to Dublin around this time of year, November, December. And the Sugar Club, and it's always, always an absolutely great show. Oh, that's it. Fitz, you're popping along as well, aren't you? Yeah, that's the current plan anyway. Um, otherwise, it's going pretty well. I was enjoying the good rugby there at the weekend, you know. Yeah. Ireland, uh, Ireland doing a Cubs and managing to, to get a monkey off their back. Yeah, no, it was very good. Now, I had to watch a live section of it on my phone because my uh, laptop charger decided that it didn't want to work anymore. Uh, so that's getting fixed this week. So that's a bit of annoyance. But uh, no, apart from that, good fun. Quiet enough, uh, kind of... Settling in towards the Christmas time now, I think looking at presents and stuff, so that's kinda probably gonna be the next week or two and then I'm off to Frankfurt for a week. So unfortunately, dear listener, you will have uh, just Harry and uh, Harry and Fitz going at each other. We'll get a toe to toe. We'll get a guest. Yeah. I might be able to dial it for a bit or I'll just send you a message you can include or something. <laughs> I dread to think what that will be. So I have a feeling on the Tuesday I'm going out for dinner with the ones from the course there. Over to the ECB where fun goes to die. Um, so yeah, to get your picks in, huh? yeah, make sure I get my picks in. Uh, I suppose we've got a good lot to get through to today because we had the early one last week, so we'll try and fly through a load of the news and then get to our mid-season review. Uh, news, your boys decided to trade uh, Jamie Collins to Cleveland for a third rounder. Uh, this was a questionable decision given that he's been playing very well. Some stories have come out since of him kind of going rogue and doing his own thing, but, you know, results are results. So uh, how do you feel about them getting rid of him for a third rounder? It's not just a third rounder, it's a compensatory third rounder as yeah. well, so it's, it's going to be a late third round pick. Actually, is this the first, now that they're tradable, the first compensatory pick that's been traded? It, it might be. Uh, I'm not sure. It's certainly one of the first. Yeah. Uh, there may have been one earlier that might have flown under the radar if there was like one of those sort of conditional, yeah. small-scale trades. Um, it's an interesting decision. There's stories coming out now uh, from the Pats that they were planning on relegating Collins uh, Colin to a part-time role anyway. Uh, it sounds like there was part of it was his freelancing, but I think you can even get away with that to an extent if it works. Like, Devin McCourty does freelance a bit. It sounds like there was difficulties with the contract negotiation. It sounds like he was not getting on with the coaching staff in the locker room. So it's a, uh, a bit of a, of a loss-cutting exercise in, well, look, he's not going to come back to us next year. Now, of course, the question is, <clears throat> they probably would have got a compensatory pick anyway if we'd allowed Collins to walk. Mm. But we decided to get rid of him, presumably because whatever damage he was doing in the locker room was considered to be sufficiently detrimental to make up for his play on the field. Belichick obviously has a lot of faith in Landon Roberts' ability to fill into that role. One interesting thing is about it being Cleveland. Like That was not a particularly valuable pick they got. You feel like you probably could have got something better for it. So there is a little element of, is this a punishment move to an extent? Yeah. Of being like, well, we're going to sell you to the least threatening bidder, of and course. that will be Cleveland. 
Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one now. Uh, I am surprised, especially, like you said, at the value they got for him because that was what they'd probably get in just letting him leave in free agency anyway. So I'm not sure about that one, but uh, we'll see how it works out. Fitz North Turner has stepped down as Minnesota's offensive coordinator in a bit of a surprise to everyone. There's been talk about it being... Uh, difference of opinion. There's been talk about it being an issue of the bringing in of a replacement quarterback was based more along the quarterback coach's idea of where the offense should be going rather than Norv Turner's. What's your take on this and the impact on the Vikings? Yeah, there was some rumours, of course, that he squashed himself, that it might have been a health-related issue. I think the way that it happened probably suggests that there was something, there was certainly something going on because the head coach, the quarterback, everyone in the organisation basically said, we had no idea this was coming. Like we basically everyone like it actually seemed to actually catch the entire organization by surprise. And if that happens, you really have to feel that there was something happening in the background which basically made him uncomfortable with that situation happening. Obviously in Minnesota the offense for the last month or so has really stuttered and the defense hasn't been able to make up for it and now they've basically dropped three in a row. And obviously that's gonna create pressure within the locker room. But I think from North Turner's perspective it kind of seems like it's just a situation where people were moving against them. Maybe he thought something was going to come, maybe not now, but coming forward, and there wasn't really much that he could do. It was effectively a ramshackle O-line and not a massive amount of talent at this point on the offense. So he basically decided to step aside at a point at which, on his own terms, rather than getting pushed in the future term. His own quote was that he felt that he was holding them back, so maybe there was actually a genuine feel that perhaps... His relationship, as it was deteriorating with the Minnesota Vikings or with the head coach, may affect the team's overall chances. So it could be an honor move. It could be a preemptive move. It's very hard to tell, and I doubt we'll find out until someone brings out their memoirs or something to that effect. Um, it will be interesting to see is whether he shows up somewhere else next year uh, as a as offensive coordinator or yeah. not, uh, or whether this will mark retirement. If it's retirement, maybe it was health issues. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, speaking of retirement, Andre Johnson is retired. Uh, 10th in all-time receiving yards, 14,185. Uh, 9th in receptions, 1,062. Uh, obviously, got a long career, got a well-known career. Probably the best player, possibly, in Texans history for them. Uh, is he a potential Hall of Fame candidate, Harry, or is he one that's going to fall into our discussion from a couple of weeks ago? I think he's probably likely to make the Hall of Fame when you consider uh, the teams he played on and the character. And I think... It's one of those ones where he was quite a well-known and popular player, even being on struggling teams. And I think that will count more for him, particularly because it's an expansion franchise versus people's lack of success in more well-established teams. So I think he's definitely got a good shot. Uh, I think he's a popular guy. I think he sort of was the Houston Texans for quite some time and emblematized that team. And I think that kind of importance, as well as his stats, which are very impressive, although not, you know, we're not talking like a Terrell Owens or, or something like that. His, his attitude and what he represented, I think, does weigh quite heavily on the minds of voters, and I think that's the sort of thing that will push him over the line. I don't think he's going to be first ballot, but mm. I definitely think he's going to get in after a year or two, because he was a phenomenal player, and he beat up Cortland for once. Yes, it's just something we can all aspire to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the exact opposite of this, uh, Percy Harvin has decided to unretire. Uh, he's rejoined Bills. Uh, he's due... I think a million dollars for this year, 800,000 in base salary and 200,000 in incentives. He was active on Monday Night Football but had no receptions. Uh, Fitz, do you think this is something that's going to actually impact this team's season? I don't don't imagine so. Like, even Rex Ryan admitted this is basically a moonshot type uh, project where with with the 
with the basically the wide receiver core so hammered, and obviously with Shady McCoy having his own injury woes, it was a case that we need some kind of X factor on that offense to try and get over the line. Uh, as we'll discuss later, they looked pretty looked pretty fine last night, and there's a, there's a case that after after this week's results, it's going to be tough for them to get back into the uh, wild card hunt. But um, I think like, I, I think it's a low risk move. There's not really much you can lose from it. And Percy Harvin, he surprised us before, both negatively and positively. So I wouldn't bet on it, but you never know. Yeah, two two entries in the uh, bold NFL players section uh, this week. Trent Williams has been suspended for four games due to the substance abuse policy, and uh, Josh Huff was arrested on a gun charge. He had a unloaded gun and a small amount of marijuana on his possession when he was pulled over, so Philadelphia caught him and he's been signed by Tampa Bay. Uh, are either of these going to have any large-scale impact? I'm, I'm guessing Josh Huff, not so much. No, it's nothing about the Tampa Bay organization, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Where they're at at the moment uh, in terms of their receiving core and their, uh, you know, that's worth a go, whatever. But yeah, no, Williams obviously does have an impact. He's a very good, perhaps sometimes I think slightly overrated, but still very, very good uh, left tackle. Kind of anchors a uh, very scatty line sometimes in Washington. So that's 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 a big, big impact for uh, for them. And I think, you know, when you lose a guy who's a franchise left tackle, that's always going to affect your quarterback. Cousins has looked inconsistent this season, so you do wonder how that's going to impact now. They've got a couple of soft games coming up soon enough, so they probably will be okay, maybe for some of it. But it is definitely, definitely a blow to them and makes them makes their position weaker certainly than it was before. Yeah, no, of course. What are yourself, Fitz? Do you think uh, either of these guys are going to have a severe impact? No, like Huff was a like a, a down the depth chart receiver anyway. Like I think. It, Trent Williams, like you only have to go down the road to Philadelphia to see what effect a suspended left tackle can have. Mm. Lane Johnson, since Lane Johnson's been out, the Eagles, the Carson Wentz haven't looked the same. Washington's got to hope that they don't end up in the same situation. He's a you know above average, he's like an above average to good left tackle. Those aren't cheap. Those won't be easy. So you know you look at teams like Minnesota and the Eagles, you might have to worry. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, so Atlanta have also then decided to extend their GM Dimitrov for three years, uh, presumably just on the back of why wow, they look significantly better this year than they have uh, recently. Uh, do you put that down to his development that he's had in picking players and stuff, or is this just kind of a, a lucky break? Well, I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a turnaround this year, so I think that's sort of worked in his favour after a pretty crummy season last season. Arthur Blank uh, likes what he's seeing, and why not this season? They look like a, a rejuvenated team. And I think you have to give some credit to some of the recent draft picks, particularly uh, guys like Vic Beasley, Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman, and so on. So I certainly think that, uh, yeah, he's... I don't know if you're over the body of work he's maybe earned it, but I think this season, it's a reward for a guy whose choices are now now definitely coming good for coming good for Atlanta. Yeah, no, of course. We had a couple of big issues. And we've mentioned the referees on this podcast before, yeah. but there was three particularly egregious decisions made uh, in terms of ejections from games this week that we thought we'd mention. So the initial game was the two Irvings going out of the Browns game, uh, one of whom appeared to be kicked out of the game because his, hand was, his helmet was ripped off and thrown at him. Uh, this was ridiculous. This is a first incident between these two guys and what two and a half minutes into the game, the starting centre and was it the defensive end? I defensive think. end, yes, uh, being removed from the game. Like, what did you think of this call, Roland? Like, was that in any way justifiable? Yeah, like this one seems like a complete overreaction. I think you're right. It was early in the game. It ruined the entire flow of the game. Albeit, I don't think anyone would, would suggest it might have gone that differently if they had stayed in. 
But I think it was just one of those situations where the referees overreacted. Like, they saw something getting thrown. Maybe there's kind of, like, there's probably rules against that where you're kind of trying to make a statement on that type of action. But I think in this case, when you look at the replay, look at how things actually unfolded, it seemed like a major overreaction by the referees. And it seemed like, yeah, this could have been handled a lot better. Uh, you know, just throw a few flags and, like, make sure it doesn't happen again. No, 100%. Like, we were saying here in the house that why don't we just have... Like, give them their first one, flag the fact that it is the first of two, and say to the two guys, look, we're going to be very, very hard on this. If you do anything that's an infraction up to this point, we're going to call it real quick. But to check guys on their first issue is ridiculous. The other one that happened in the Kansas City Chiefs game with Travis Kelsey. (laughs) Travis Kelsey caught a ball in the end zone with two men draped over him, uh, one horse collaring him. He got flagged for uh, for PI for, for some reason. Or for a, for a personal foul. He did not take nicely to the fact that he had been flagged for this. So turned around and decided to throw his camo towel at the referee as a flag himself to say, if you can throw flags, I can throw flags too. I thought this was brilliant. I was 100% with Kelsey on this. That was a bullshit decision. Like, Yeah, um, it was. It was ridiculous to see. It's interesting though, Connor. Like uh, you, you were opposed to players bashing the ref in press conferences, but not on the field. That's fine. No, I have no problem. No problem, no problem at all with that. This is the, the second, probably the second funniest Travis Kelsey referee incident after his sneaky little uh, wanking motion oh, yeah, last yeah. year. Yeah. Oh, fuck, like, what were they trying to achieve? Like, oh, it, like whatever about it. It's, it's, it's just the whole, like, all respect of the game. It's, it's absolute mockery when you see all the other stuff that happens. Yeah. And like, when, the, like it, you, you could understand if it came out of nowhere, perhaps, the ejection. But, like, this was after an ex- egregiously poor decision. And a player just threw his towel up in frustration, mocking the referee... It's just a re- an overreaction based on, oh, you're coming for us. Like, it's, it's such a weird thing. It's sort of almost out of embarrassment. Now, this might mean nothing to most of our listeners, but many, many years ago, uh, I think it was Terry Butcher, English international football player, a free kick was called and he kicked the ball to the ref. The ref tried to control it, slipped, and lost control of the ball, and then sent Butcher off out of just embarrassment. <laughs> and it was, it was a bit like that. It was the ref were just embarrassed and just ejected him. How, like, he was just, he pointed out something, they, something that they obviously clearly knew they fucked up. Yeah. I don't think it's a massive... Like, like if, if he'd just thrown it... Like, he threw it directly at the referee. He had been yapping at the referee, which is obviously not supposed to be allowed either. Like, that's similar to how you would have in football. But I don't think it's a massive reaction. Or I think it's certainly within the rules anyway. Yeah, like, for me, I can see why they did it. But hopefully there's no suspension or anything like that. I just think it's when a player lost his head and, and the referees just need to ensure that players don't, don't talk back too much at this point. Ah, yeah, but sure. It was just a bit of crack anyway. I love Kelsey. He's just good fun. We'll do a quick injury roundup now before we get on to the mid-season review. Uh, Kansas City, Jamal Charles have a move to IR. He might be back in time for the playoffs. He might not. I don't know. He had his uh, meniscus trimmed, which is not a phrase I feel comfortable saying. Um, so, obviously, a bit of a downside to the Chiefs, but they've got good production out of Ware and, to a lesser extent, West. They signed Bishop Sankey and picked up Niall Davis again because he made it all the way back to us. Um so yeah, obviously an impact, but we'll see whether he makes it back or not. New York Jets, Fitzmagic has got a MCL spray in his day-to-day. Surely this team is looking at maybe moving to starting Bryce Petty to see what they have, given they have to be starting to give up on this season, right Harry? Yeah, but Bryce Petty's terrible, so like the reason they aren't starting Bryce Petty is because I think they've got a pretty good idea of what they have and that he's just not ready for it, and it could be a drummer Matt Barkley. Yeah, they don't want to be looking down the same kind of a Matt Barkley situation, or even Greg McElroy. Uh, a few seasons ago with the Jets, where you just throw in a guy who's not ready, and it just—it's just an embarrassment for all involved. With, with their fan base and their history, it's very difficult for them to turn around and tank on a season and admit they're tanking on a season. 
and Todd Balls in particular is obviously I think becoming increasingly aware but you see like he's got his hobo beard now mm. like these are a man who I think is feeling the pressure a lot so the more wins they can get this season the better he needs to give himself rope he knows what this franchise is like so I think they just have to feel the team that right now gives them the best chance of winning although now it looks like they might have to feel Bryce Petty so we'll see how that goes them. Dever, Wolf has now injured his elbow, he's got a hairline fracture, this could be him out for up to a month. Fitz, do they have the depth to be able to survive this, or is this going to make a large impact to the next couple of games? Well, I think the defence will still be effective, I think they definitely have enough depth to be a good defence. The problem is that their defence needs to be more than good right now to, to basically make up for what is a ever less efficient and effective offence. So, this could definitely have an effect, he is one of their most effective inside pass rushers, like probably one of the better defensive tackles in the league. So yeah, I think I think it, the defense will still be good, but it's about that whether that defense can be good enough to carry the team. Yeah, like we've got a, a, a spattering of other injuries. Dexter McCluster has hurt his forearm lifting boxes at home. Apparently, uh, Antoine Smith hurt his knees out for the season. That's their fourth running back. They're running through them something fears. Uh, Pew's out for New York Giants. He sprained his knee, so he'll be out for a few weeks. And Buffalo have lost Eric Wood to the season with a broken leg. Is there any of those guys that you think are going to have a particularly large impact? I think the only one really there is Eric Wood. Like he's a pretty solid center of the Buffalo O line's a bit bleh. so that that is a, that is definitely a blow to them. Yeah. What do yourself fits anyone that stands out? Only for those who are desperate to pick up like Tampa Bay running back. <laughs> In fantasy. Yeah. It's, uh, th- th- at least it's making sure there's always a churn every week on the waiver wire. <laughs> but yeah, so I suppose we'll move on to our uh, mid-season review and have a look at, uh, now that we're halfway through the season, how our predictions are going and make a couple of new ones. Uh, I think overall, not that well. <laughs> um, rookie of the year. Uh, I took Derek Henry, Fitz took Ziggy Elliott, and Harry took Tajay Sharp. <laughs> Aren't you glad that we stop you from picking Tyler Sharp in every single category now? <laughs> yeah, so I think on this one, it would appear that Fitz got this one uh, on the on the head, I think. Yeah, this was my safe pick, if I remember correctly. I said this was a boring pick, and the boring pick is correct. I think, like, Connor, you, you think maybe um, Dak Prescott... Yeah, my, 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 my movement has now been to, to Dak, because I do think... There is a preference in nearly all these scenarios. Ziggy's probably a better player than Dak, but I think there's a favoritism towards quarterbacks, especially in these type of scenarios. If he gets to, if he takes them to the playoffs in a season where he wasn't meant to start, the starter went down, and all this kind of stuff, I think there's enough of a story there that he'd get voted in ahead of uh, Ziggy Elliott. But yeah, I think at the moment, Fitz, you're definitely ahead in there. Like I said, I'll swap to Dax. You're swapping to Z. Yeah, look, I mean, he's looked incredible. Yeah. I can't argue with that. He's the best. He's been the best player in the draft, and we all were. And we're during the draft, those of you who listen to our live coverage, we're like, what on earth? But hey, that's why we're not NFL GMs and Stephen Jones is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I think it was more, rather than question the quality of the player, I think our confusion was, haven't they just signed like three free agents? Yeah, well, I think that's just weird, but look, <laughs> it's worked for them. The Thermal fan might be dead, I don't know where he is yeah. these days. MVP. Didn't he break his hand dropping his phone? Oh, that's right, his elbow, yeah. Yeah. Him and Dexter Cluster can have a little club, like. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Please don't make us do DIY. <laughs> uh, MVP, I went for Carson Palmer. Uh, Fitz went for David jo- Johnson. And Harry went for Tom Brady. Uh, so you're going to stick with Tom Brady. I am sticking with Tom Brady. He's been, since he came back from suspension, he has been the best player in the league. I don't think it matters if he's going to miss four games. If he keeps up playing the way he is and he leads the Patriots to the playoffs and potentially to another Super Bowl, I don't think you can make, well, I mean, obviously Super Bowl will come afterwards, but I don't think you can make any argument 
Um, the level New England have played at since Tom Brady has come back has been phenomenal. And if he can keep up even 70-80% of that level of performance, he's going he's gonna to overtake guys who have managed to play a full season. Mm. Like I think myself and Fitz have both accepted defeat on our picks and have both shifted to the Matt Ryan hype train. Is that right, Fitz? Yeah, like like David Johnson's having an absolutely phenomenal season, but that probably means he'll just get Offensive Player of the Year, which is a fake award that doesn't need to exist. I think the one sneaky one that I haven't chosen here, but the sneaky one on the backfield might be Matt Stafford. Ah, uh, no, I disagree with this. Oh, you don't think he has a shot? Matt Stafford is too up and down. He ha- he ends up with great stats, but he can also, like, he'll have a game where he has, like, 150 yards and have another game where he has 600 yards. You need to show a bit of consistency to be the best player in the league. Stat Padford. I heard that term from yeah. that was great. <laughs> Stat Padford. Stop padding if you win games in the fourth quarter. Yeah, but you don't win all that many games in the fourth quarter. He's had, like, four comebacks. Yeah, having to win... do more research. Having to win every single game in the fourth quarter, like, I don't know if that's... I mean, I get why it looks good, but you also got to look at, like, hey, maybe he didn't play that well for the previous 55 minutes of the game, yeah. Your lack of faith in the coot is, is, is disturbing. You're not, you're not even picking him. <laughs> you're just causing trouble, like... As we say, eternally, Roman Fitzpatrick picking one thing and arguing for another. <laughs> Defensive Rookie of the Year, I went Chris Jones in a sweet-ass homer pick. Joey Bosa for Fitz and Jalen Ramsey for Harry. Yeah, I'm going to swap and say Bosa. If he stays on the pace he is at the moment, then uh, there's going to be no catching him. Uh, Fitz is obviously staying. And uh, Harry, you've gone for his uh, teammate, Jatavis Brown. I have, and well, I think Bozo's looked excellent and is playing, I suppose, the more flashy and inverted commas position, getting to rush the passer and cause pressures and uh, show off all those highlight reels. Uh, Jatavis Brown has been an absolute monster in the middle of that uh, defense. Like, he's been very, very good against the run. He's also shown a real ability in coverage. He's been an absolute tackling machine uh, for this team. And I think when you look at what's turned around for San Diego this season, the run defense has been a very, very important part. And the middle linebackers, led by Brown, have been absolutely critical in turning that around. Now, I said all of these things about Quan Alexander last year, and he got popped for steroids. So We'll see how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, to be honest, this is the thing. Those are two really good young pieces in that defense. I... Some of these people ought to go to a different fucking division for a change. Um, comeback player of the year, I said Jamal Charles. That's going well. He's had four carries and is now back on IR. Uh, Fitz said Colin Kaepernick. Um... Well, on the, plus, on, the, on the plus side, he's gone in the opposite direction. He's now starting, yeah. uh, which is a plus. And uh, Harry said Keenan Allen. How about them knees? Uh, <laughs> he got more touch than Jamal Charles. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Although his knee is indefinitely in worse shape than yeah, Jamal Charles is now. Um, new picks. Uh, well, Fitz has gone with Jimmy Graham and myself and Harry have gone with uh, DeMarco. Although my thing is automatically auto-corrected to demarcation. Ducking water, cucumber. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that'll be yeah. fun. Uh, so why Jimmy Graham fits? Yeah, like it, it's almost it isn't even just, like it's not just like he's like second in yards for tight ends. He's having a good season already, but it's almost based to a certain extent. Homer, I think what he's doing in the second Homer, half. Homer, Homer, yeah, Homer, well, Homer. Homer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I genuinely think that like in last, like we'll talk about it in the game, of course. But he had a good game last last night, and I think he's going to have a really good second half of the season. It's going to push him up there. And I'm not sure that DeMarco will have as good a second half as, in, as Tennessee can. I imagine they're going to wilt a bit down the road. To be yeah, like this is the thing. I think they can do. Uh, the one hope is that 
obviously with the with the rookie in behind him, they can spot him a bit and maybe not get him as tired because he's an old man. But uh, but no, just his numbers so far have been incredible. It's not something I was expecting at all. So uh, I suppose we'll see how those go. Um, I think the thing in favour of Murray in particular is that he has become that team's offense. Like Jimmy Graham looks great, don't get me wrong, and he's going to be a very important piece in Seattle. But you get the sense that they can function without him. If you lose to Marco Murray in Tennessee, like no matter how much belief you have in Derrick Henry, that is an infinitely worse team that yeah. possibly cannot move the ball. No, of course. But, but like Jimmy Graham's on a on a playoff bound team, probably, which means he's going to get more press and more coverage. Mm. So that'll probably factor into it as well. I'd never write off the AFC South. And, and he uh, he used to play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, breakout player of the year, uh, I said my boy, Christine Michael. Fitz said Clowney. Harry said uh, Chris Hogan. Uh, I'm relatively happy with Christy Michael, although they've been moving away. We'll discuss this later on in the games and moving away a little bit from the run game at the moment, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, Fitz, you're very happy with Clowney. He's been performing very well as well. And uh, Harry, you've swapped your boy, J.H.I. I have. Uh, I'm doing it wrong. I think Chris Hogan's been actually been great. But I just wanted to talk about J.H.I. and the breakout he's had uh, this season, which has been absolutely remarkable. Um, a guy who was buried on the depth chart, who was nowhere for, for most of the year, and uh, didn't do anything the season before, was looking like he wasn't going to be able to make the transition and was going to end up as a bust. And then suddenly, just when presented with the opportunity this season, uh, after Aaron Foster went down, even though it wasn't clear he was going to take over the backfield after he struggled initially, just completely broke out, rushed for two back-to-back 200-yard games, and then followed up with another 100-yard performance, 150 all-purpose yards. He's become the focal point of that Miami offense, and he's given a new lease of life to what was a turgid, ineffective team that was basically incapable of moving the ball or controlling games in any way. And that's just that's just been remarkable. I think he should be recognized for that, and I'd, I'd like to think that he will be at the end of the season thought of that way. Yeah, that was the only worry for myself. Uh, obviously, I agree that he's amazing. It's like the sample size of three games so far. You do have to wonder, considering his past you know, indiscretions, whether this is something to go off the tracks towards the end of the season. Well, like, I, I definitely think it's a good pick, but I'm not sure I would be ready to jump on just yet. And then finally, we're going to look at Pizarri, one we didn't actually do initially, Defensive Player of the Year. So um, this is a fresh batch. We've all kind of gone through, I think these are probably three or four of the names that are actually up in the, in the conversation at the moment. So we've got a better chance of getting these ones right than the wild speculations from the beginning. Uh, I've gone for Marcus Peters, obviously leading leads in interceptions. There's going to be games later on that they're going to see more of those. So hopefully, like, we're probably not going to get as good as we did against the Jets because uh, that was a nice little stat pattern for the entire team. But um, he's looking good, working well in coverage. Uh, Fitz, you've gone for... Bob Miller. Uh, he's having a Bob Miller season. He's doing really well. I expect that he'll continue to do pretty well once a good defence. And he has the name brand value, which means that he's likely to get like get, get recognition uh, if we're looking at him purely from a predictive point of view. Yeah, no, of course. And Harry, you've gone for... I've gone for Aaron Donald, uh, my 7-9 bullshit pick for this award. Yeah. But no, like he's not going to have you know the stats of Peters or Miller because he, that's the position he plays. But if you look at the way he's been playing, if you look at the pressure he's able to get, and if you look at like things like hurries and hits, and even the sack numbers for a DT, he's playing at an incredibly high level. He's probably uh, the best defensive tackle in this scheme in the league. Like I just think he elevates the play of what is otherwise a fairly turgid Rams team to being actually extremely dangerous. Yeah, of course. So now I suppose we'll move on to our predictions for the playoffs. Uh 
Well, we'll do what we'll do is we'll do our seedings for each of the AFC and the NFC, uh, then we'll just say who's going to make the championship games, and then who's going to who's going to be in your Super Bowls and who's going to win, I suppose. So, uh, Harry, what's your seeding for the AFC? So for the AFC, I've gone New England, Oakland, Houston, and Pittsburgh as my division winners. Although I don't particularly like the Pittsburgh pick, but you got to pick somebody from the North. It's a mess right now. That could just as easily be Baltimore. And then I have Kansas City and Denver completing an AFC West sweep in the wild cards. Mm. And probably some very angry uh, San Diego fans say, we've got a better record than Houston. Why are they there? Fitz, <laughs> uh, yourself? Yeah, I've gone for New England number one, Oakland number two, obviously winning the East and the West respectively. Pittsburgh winning North and coming in the tree seed and having a better record than Tennessee winning in the AFC South. And then the two wild cards will be KC and Denver in that order. Uh, once again, going for the AFC West sweep. Yeah, surprise, surprise. I think I've got a very similar setup in mine. Uh, New England number one, Kansas City number two, Pittsburgh number three, Houston number four, Oakland number five, and Denver number six. Denver have actually fallen to a very awkward spot so far. I was looking at their rankings because they've now, all their losses have been in division. So mm-hmm. they're in a bad spot for tied situations. I don't think the division thing will matter for the, um, I know obviously they're conference losses, so they do matter to an extent for the wild card. Mm-hmm. But obviously if they're winning in conference games, it can, it can balance out. Yeah, but we'll see. Uh, so that's, so we're, we're, we're not a million miles off. Uh, You've got Tennessee going through in place of Houston there, Fitz. Uh, do you just see a draw? Like, I don't think any of us have any trust in Houston, <laughs> but I'm yeah. also not sure if I trust Tennessee to catch up. Yeah, like, I, I, it's just Houston. Like, every time you watch a Houston game or you see any highlights of a Houston game, it's like, this team is so bad. And they're not even using the things that used to be good. They, like, they keep winning their home games, but I'm like... The wheels have to come up eventually, right? Like this is a team that could easily go on like a five-six losing skid, and that's what I'm basically betting on there. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So, we'll we'll go to you first on this. Then, what's your NFC seeding? Uh, okay, Dallas number one, Seattle number two. Uh, obviously, winning the uh, East and West uh, respectively. Again, uh, Atlanta winning South and coming three, and then Detroit winning the AFC or the NFC North. Um, and then the wild cards will be the Giants and the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, uh, I've gone Dallas number one, uh, Atlanta number two, Seattle number three, Minnesota number four, Detroit number five, and Giants squeaking in there, squeaky bum time at uh, number six. Uh, what about yourself, Harry? Uh, well, I've gone with Dallas as uh, top seed, then Atlanta, so agreeing with yourself. Uh, then I have Detroit as the third seed, and Seattle as the fourth. Then I have the Giants as the fifth, because I don't like it when the Giants are the sixth seed. Gives me trouble. <laughs> and then in my sixth seed, my Jacksonville Jaguars of last year <laughs> pick is the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. So I think I'm going to turn it around this year. I was very, I was trying to work out how I'd get, because uh, I was looking at both New Orleans and Carolina as people who I think have potential to get up there, because I do see both Minnesota and Detroit potentially kind of dropping off a bit here. But I'm not sure... Because it's a it's a couple of games I'd have to make up is my problem is trying to see where they where they make up the ground unless just as you seem to believe anyway Minnesota are just gonna go into a tailspin now. Yeah, I think they're already in a tailspin to be honest. With you. So our uh, our AFC champions from uh, from our preseason predictions, uh, I went Pittsburgh, Fitz went New England, and Harry went Kansas City. Now this is interesting because I don't think. Any of us have the uh, have the same outcomes? Well, do Fitz's oh, left Fitz, is ambiguous. Fitz's left is ambiguous. Here. So I've just, I've said that uh, 
my AFC Championship game is going to be KC at New England. Uh, and I believe, Harry, you've gone the same, yep, haven't you? I have. Uh, Fitz, you've said Oakland at New England. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and, like, uh, and my, my expectation is that New England will win. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Your expectation is New England is in. Yeah. I'm sorely torn here because I do think New England might win, but I also... I'm. I'm dying to see the game this weekend to see how they play. Do you want me to start the Homer chant again, or? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Um, we'll leave that. We'll leave that one ambiguous till we get to the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, NFC champion. I had Arizona. Man, I was all in on Arizona before the season. Fitz had Seattle, and uh, Harry had Carolina. So somebody was longer than you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's surprising to be honest. Um, my call for the NFC championship game is Atlanta at Dallas. Uh, Fitz. I have Seahawks at Dallas. And Harry? I also have Atlanta at Dallas. Mm. Now, I have Atlanta winning that game. Fitz, you have Seattle, is it? Yeah, Homer, big, of course. Homer, of course. And uh, Harry? I have uh, the opposite of you. I have Dallas winning that game. Mm, interesting. So, my Super Bowl is Atlanta at KC. Uh, <laughs> I've decided... Uh, you're, you're with it. Yeah, Houston, Houston's going to come back in and we're going to tear shit yeah, to be honest, it's one of those ones, if we got to that game, it could go either fucking way. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm going to have Atlanta uh, versus KC for the for the Super Bowl. Fitz, you've got... Revenge Bowl! <laughs> Seahawks take down the, England, the New England Patriots in the revenge game. I don't know, they'll probably run it uh, from the one-yard line this time. They'll definitely win. Mm. And Christy Michael uses left hand and drop it instead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Harry, you've gone for New England versus Dallas, America's game, the Patriots versus America's team, and I think New England will win. Mm. I'm interestedly going to put KC in there, and I think we lose to Atlanta in the final. Oh, you bailed out on the Homer trilogy. Uh, I'm torn. I'm torn. <laughs> See, the problem is there's just like I don't know how you control Julio Jones. If he goes off on one, Marcus Peters. No. Yeah. Mar- Mar- Marcus Peters is good, but Julio Jones is is huge. Like we'd have to double him the whole time. There have been games where Julio Jones has you know gone for like eleven yards, leaving all of the other Atlanta receivers mm-hmm. wide open because they're quadruple covering him every yeah. snap. But so this, this is about I like I I do trust in the scheme that they could figure something out. But I think I think I'm gonna put it down as an Atlanta win here. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's our that's our predictions uh, for, for for the season so far at the midway point. We'll call back in about five or six weeks and see how badly we got these wrong. And uh, with that, I suppose we'll move Seattle on. Seattle inevitably collapse. That's it. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll move on to the to the games from next from last week. We're going to take a look at uh, three games from last week. Uh, first up on the Ring of Honor was Monday Night Football: Buffalo at Seattle Seahawks, twenty-five to thirty-one. This was a surprise. It was a good primetime game and performances from both teams. Not something we've had that much of. Uh, this year, Bills did everything that should, on paper, result in them winning a game. They had two to one time of possession. Uh, they had 150 yards more offense than them. They established a running game, got 162 yards rushing, but somehow nothing came of it. Uh, Seattle had no rushing attack at all. Uh, 282 yards passing, uh, like two touchdowns for Jimmy Graham, and as Fitz mentioned earlier in the podcast, an excellent showing for Jimmy Graham. Uh, their defense stepped up five sacks and 12 hits here so that was probably the thing that's that made it there were some issues with refereeing uh we didn't mention them all that much earlier but uh, i'm sure we'll get into that during it but overall a good performance from both sides so suppose ronan i'll come to you first wilson seemed better than he has so far this season but there was a non-existent running attack in this game was that due to strong play from the bills or is that an evolving offensive philosophy for seattle are they moving to more of an air game 
Well, I, I think I think it's it's a, like a little bit of both. I think like traditionally the Seahawks running game has been based on that read option. Russell Wilson's threat of running has generally opened up the running lanes for the other ones because the offensive line, as we as we all have well discussed at this point, isn't exactly stacked with like for like with, with quality players. And it's got like a rookie. It's got a converted tight end. It's got a basketball player. It's, it's all a bit messy. This is basically what we saw in the latter half of last season, taken to its extreme, basically, where the entire offense comes around a quick passing, efficient offense in which they don't go to the ground. And like this is basically not the Seahawks team that won the Super Bowl. This is a very different beast now, and it all runs through Russell Wilson, whether he can make the step up from being, uh, you know, like a read option quarterback to being a pocket quarterback, and he's done that really successfully. He can mix in the option concepts, and his speed seems to have been upgraded from, you know, Peyton Manning slow to, like, I don't know, Matthew Stafford slow. Like, that's progress, at least, and maybe by the end of the season he might actually back to his pace. But I think on the offense, like, this is something that we did see in the latter half of last season, but it has been accelerated and taken to an extreme due to Russell Wilson's continued injury problems. There's things to really like in this, especially Jimmy Graham's emergence. Uh, he could definitely become the focal point of this offense. But there's also reason to worry because if you go to that type of offense, you're going to be you're going to be off the field more often. You're going to have more quick tree and ads. You're going to end up more like something like the Philadelphia Eagles or Chip Kelly or that kind of situation. And that's very different to the way this team is supposed to be built, which is about you know keeping the offense, grinding the clock, letting the defense do its job. You do have to worry about whether the defense will get burned out via injuries and just time on, on the pitch eventually and whether that will show against the elite teams. And we're going to get a good test of that this week. Yeah, so no, that'll that, be interesting to watch. That's going to be a very interesting game. We'll be talking about that in detail later on. Uh, Harry, this Buffalo team, now 4-5, and five, it's a mixed bag of games ahead for them. So they've got a couple of kind of tomato cans. They've got Jags, Browns, the Jets, let's be honest. Uh, but then they've also got like Steelers, Raiders... Dolphins and maybe to a lesser extent the Bengals if they can turn it around. Are they done in terms of getting to the wild card, or does this type of performance against a team with this good a defense give you hope? Well, not you obviously because they're in division, but you know. Yeah, uh, I think it's a case of both. I think the Jet. I think uh, I think the Bills have been done since uh, a while ago. Like I think they've dropped off the pace um, a while back, and with what's happening in the AFC West, it's going to be very difficult for teams that aren't in that division to catch up. On the other hand, it does give them hope. I mean, if you look at the the schedule, like you said, I mean, you're looking at like an eight and eight record realistically coming out of that. Seven and nine at the absolute worst, maybe nine and seven. A few things break your way if Pittsburgh continue to play terribly, and if the Bengals and Dolphins can be flaky, it will be, I think, a solid, solid result in Buffalo. But there's definitely, but definitely not enough to make the make the playoffs. However, on the hope aspect, it's really, really important. I mean, you look at a game like this against a tough team, a good defense. An offense that was, while statistically not great, because as we all know from Ben McAdoo, stats are for losers, um, <laughs> was efficient and did what it needed to do to win the game. They did make it very difficult for Buffalo, and they still were in it at the end. So you look at the way Tyrod Taylor played in that game, he was fantastic. Uh, Robert Woods had a career day, and Shady McCoy looked like he's cutting back into form now. It wasn't his best, but moving in the right direction. So, and even like you look at, say, a guy like uh, even Reggie Bush turning into a special teamer, that's weird. Yeah. It seems to work. So, there's bits in Buffalo that are now clicking. There are still problems with the defense, particularly the secondary seems just completely lost this season. Ryan Brothers, I don't know. 
Um, but we all laughed at them for you know sacking Greg Roman, and we're like, what are you doing? Are you getting you know, the yes man? But it has made a real difference to how this team is playing. And also, they can look back on this, and you mentioned the refereeing incident, the bizarre field goal thing at the end of the yeah. half has been the kind of thing that could have made a difference towards the, the end of the game. Like, I mean, had that field goal gone over, instead of having to throw the touchdown, they could have kicked a field goal for overtime at that point. Yeah. Now, I don't know if, if I've seen people saw, but what happened was basically before the kick, uh, kick was taken, uh, it was a long field goal. Richard Sherman jumped off sides and tackled the kicker. A penalty was given, but only for the offside, not for any kind of roughing the kicker penalty, which was a little bit unusual. But then the refs messed up the clock, um, let the clock run, didn't stop it or reset it. So, and that basically only gave them like less than 10 seconds to kick the field goal. Go after they, they spiked the ball and, mm. and so on. Uh, but a lot of them having to kick a longer field goal. And, and they, also, they also, after they hit, uh, forced the kicker to leave the field because right. they thought, oh, maybe he's injured. He said he's fine. Yeah. He was just getting up. But yeah, uh, the refs really made an absolute dog's well, dinner that one. They did. Because the kicker did make a big show about looking injured right up until he needed to be back on. Maybe because there was a flag that was meant to come in that didn't come in. The big mess up is the is the clock management, yeah. uh, I, and that's what cost. That's what basically caused them to have to re-kick after mm. successfully making it and then miss a longer field goal. So I think they can feel hard done by. I think they can definitely take positives from this one. The you know the, the wild card dream is still alive, but it's a very faint hope that really relies on results in other places falling their way and other teams dropping off. It's out of their hands now, but definitely a lot of real positives they can take from that game moving forward. And I think we might see a more effective Buffalo Bills uh, coming into the stretch now. No, of course. Uh, in the neutral zone this week, Indianapolis at Green Bay, 31-26. to 26. Uh, This had the MVP of the week in it, the squirrel in the end zone <laughs> in the third quarter. He was open all day and no one could cover him. Uh, Colts got out to a very fast start in this kickoff for, uh, for a return touchdown. Overall, though, it was a game just mired in mediocrity. Uh, both quarterbacks were sub 300 yards. 60 yards was the top rusher. 90-odd yards was the top receiver. Uh, Jake Ryan had a good game on defense with 11 solo tackles, but outside of that, there was no standouts. Uh, Green Bay were just chasing this game the whole way. They started to mount a fourth-quarter comeback as they always seem to be doing, but this time it was a little bit too little too late. Uh, Harry, I'll come to you first on this. Still inconsistent. The defense couldn't capitalize against what has been a weak O-line, uh, just slinging it around in a comeback scenario. When you look at this Green Bay team, is there any phase of the game or any elements that you actually trust to perform throughout? Because I'm finding them hard to find something that you can hang your hat on. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, you've got players going off weekly but not consistently you'll have Jordy Nelson will have a monster week and then disappear you'll have Devontae Adams will have a monster week and then disappear this is a team that is struggling for the fact I think that with the difficulties Rodgers is having which we've discussed already on the podcast and we know we we don't know exactly what they are we've got our our theories everybody's got the theory but you can't argue with the fact that he's struggling what's happening is is that the team has been completely unable to establish any semblance of a ball control run game which means there's nothing to really take the pressure off of Rodgers. I mean, you can look at, yeah, Ty Montgomery can make explosive plays or whatever, but when, you know, your top rusher, he's, he's your top rusher, he's effectively a wide receiver, and then you've got Rodgers getting a bunch of yards running around for his life. There's nothing to take that pressure away, and there's nothing to allow this team to settle down on offense, and that's been the big problem for them. And as it feels right now, this is a team that doesn't want to run the ball. This is a team that's almost playing like a college team, um, and that they'll call, like, maybe 10 designed runs a game, and the rest of it's all going to be flinging the ball around or getting the quarterback to scramble. And that's not great. That's not what they want to do. That's not what you want to do when you're in a difficult position and when you're having trouble moving things around and having trouble settling yourself in. The failure really to find anything after Starks and Lacey went down has really, really hurt them, uh, regardless of Aaron Rodgers' level of play. 
because it means that when that critical piece is, is misfiring, there's nothing to pick up the slack. And un, unless Green Bay can sort something out, and now you know, trade deadline's being passed and everything, it's probably too little too late. You, Trent Richardson's there. Trent Richardson, <laughs> Trent Richardson, who was playing... Did you see what he's at recently? No. Trent Richardson is now playing on the scout team for Alabama. Oh, he's gone it? down to because uh, they're playing uh, LSU and Fortunate. Yeah. They were like, "Well, who's the you know? We'll, we'll replicate the best uh, running back in college by bringing in the worst running back in the NFL." Which seems about right, mm. if you ask me. Yeah, no, they uh, they they tried him out in Kansas City when they were looking for a replacement. Uh, the fact that Bishop Sankey got it over him kind of says a lot, I think. Uh, uh, Ronan, the O line here held up better. They only allowed two sacks, given that they're the I think the most sacked O line. Uh, they're now four and five, entering the bye week. Could the Colts be regrouping here for a second half push, or is this more of a dead cat bounce? I think like they have a chance. They have Andrew Luck. They have like you know like Frank Gore. Definitely like the the tire is getting thin, but he's certainly a functional power back. And their defense in this game showed a little bit of backbone. Like in this game, they got lucky. Let's be honest. They had two massive special teams plays, including one that went directly for a touchdown. One, another one which led to points. Like, pretty much everything, like, broke right for them, except that Andrew Luck, instead of getting sacked in this game, threw two pretty, pretty questionable uh, interceptions. So, but overall, they had enough going that they could actually, like, basically have some, some performance in this thing. If you're looking at quarterback only, the Colts are best. If you're looking at offense overall, you probably take the Colts offense, maybe, maybe over Tennessee. And then on defense, they just need to be adequate. They don't need to be good. They just need to be adequate to keep them competitive in the division. Like, if they were in any other division, I wouldn't consider them in any way a realistic chance. But because they're in the AFC side, they're definitely in another chance. But the one thing we know is this offense is completely reliant on that deep passing game. That's how you get these interceptions, because Andrew Luck is constantly needing to push it down the field. T.Y. Hilton, to Moncrief, to Dorset. It's just down the field, down the field, down the field. It's very one-dimensional. Andrew Luck is a great quarterback, and he can just about make it work. But, like, yeah, they're probably not the favorite for the AFC side, but they're definitely still in there. And getting a win like this is massive. This is a win that no one would have given them given to them before this game started. So I think that really has to give them a lot of hope. Um, on paper, they shouldn't be in it, but, you know, on paper you don't win games. It's on the field. That's where they're getting the wins right now. And they have one up on Tennessee already, so that gives them advantage within the division. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, so we'll see how they progress. They've got the bye week now to kind of get their stuff together and see what they can come out with afterwards. Uh, in the dumpster fire this week, Pittsburgh at Baltimore, 14-21, to an AFC North showdown where both teams show that they have what it takes to be in a division with the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> <laughs> ben Roethlisberger came back from injury, and it showed. He entered the fourth quarter with 54 yards passing on 8 of 18 attempts. Uh, interesting fact. The Pittsburgh Steelers had given up more penalty yards in the first half, 84, than they had scored on offense, 64. Neither team ran well. Bell was 2.3 yards a carry. West was 1.4 yards a carry. Uh, Mike Wallace was 124 yards receiving, which sounds good, but one of them was a 95-yard reception. The rest were all like four-yard piddlers. Um, Flacco looked okay if bland. Uh, it did look like he broke his knee at one point, but that was just uh, the ankle br- or the knee brace he had on 
dismantled after he got his foot stuck in the turf on a bit of a run. So it was just the brace. Three plays later, he was back in with a replacement brace. Uh, not a not a strong game, but I suppose the overall question of this one, is it an outlier or is it an indicator for these teams? So Harry, I'll come to you first on this. It wasn't just Ben that was off. There was no running game. Their defense looked okay and they had a strong fourth quarter. This puts the Steelers in second place, and they're tied on record, um, but they're a game and a half back in the division. So is this the start of a slide for them, or is this just a road bump on their way to to the postseason? Well, I don't think this is the start of a slide. I think Pittsburgh have looked quite poor for a few weeks now. And um, even with Roethlisberger coming back, it's continued to be, and the problems problems are still there. Now, once again, this is Ben Roethlisberger coming back way too soon after being injured and just being completely a shell of himself. Like we did see more in the in the second half and in the fourth quarter in particular, but again, that you know it's it's Baltimore going to prevent it's it, it's the fourth quarter of a game that the other team is pretty much in control of. You haven't scored any points up to that point, uh, but it, it was bad, and you do wonder why. Well, you don't wonder why they left Minx. You know what he's like. You know, yeah. they're not going to bench their franchise QB, but they really should have held him out for another game because he wasn't up to it. And the thing is, when Roethlisberger was posing no threat, when the passing game was posing no threat. That made it extremely difficult for the running game because Baltimore does have a very good defense. And they were able to zero in on Bell, and he couldn't he couldn't do it all by himself because you know against a strong running defense, it doesn't matter how good your running back is if there's nothing there to create space for him, nothing there to draw people off him, nothing there to think that the passing game is effective. It's going to be very very difficult. And yeah, credit to both defenses. Pittsburgh's defense looked good. Cameron Hayward in particular was very effective. Uh, Ryan Shazier again playing very well, but something is completely amiss with this team, and it might be covered up again when Roethlisberger um, returns to health and starts playing like he can. Well, those those seen... last eight minutes, he got 200 yards. Yeah, I know, right? But, <laughs> but we, we, we've just seen so, a few times this season with a um, Pittsburgh team that has just seemed to have lost the way. And this is it happening once again, the same way it's happened over the last few weeks. It's just that when it's against the Ravens, it just becomes more pointed, I think, and because yeah. of a game you more people paying attention to. At this point, you know, we wrote it off initially. We were like, oh, it's a wobble. Oh, Pittsburgh usually lose to a few crap teams. At this point, this is a full-on problem for Pittsburgh, and they need to look at how they're running their offense because right now it's not good enough. It's not good enough to beat bad teams, and while their defense is playing well, it can't do it all by itself. I don't know what, they're gonna, what the solution is going to be, but you have to look at how they're calling plays, how they're coaching the game. Um, it's not just the players on the field. Uh, I think Todd Haley's going to have to answer some questions there because this is a team that is not currently able to take advantage of the talent on its roster. Yeah, well, we all know I've, I've, I've expressed beforehand my, my opinions on Todd Haley. <laughs> bag of shit. Um, but anyway, Ronan, a win is a win, I suppose. But like 54 yards passing going into the fourth quarter, surely this game should have been over sooner and by a far bigger margin than it was. Is that a reflection of kind of mediocre, struggling Baltimore offense, or is it just kudos to Pittsburgh's defense for keeping them in this game? Well, just to just briefly mention the Steelers coaching. I hope their special teams or kicking coach uh, has a bit of a better uh, setup for their next onside kick. Uh, <laughs> Chris Boswell's uh, attempted Rabona was uh, one of the highlights of the week, and uh, yeah, like like and I think it comes back to what was part of the reason why like the Ravens should have been ahead, but like did actually end up winning, which was really the defense. Like, this is a defense first team, and that starts with having a lot of savvy veterans there. And one of the most underrated pickups, for my to my mind, is someone like Eric Weddle. But like, yeah, so like on offense, the Ravens look anemic. They just don't have anything going. 
they basically have one Mike Wallace like basically running past everyone every two weeks. That's about it. Now Steve Smith did come back in this game. He did get four catches, forty-seven yards. We'll see if he gets more attention next week. That's and then certainly it's a good matchup to get some points there and get the confidence back up. But yeah, I think this offense in general against anything, any kind of decent to good defense is going to struggle. But the defense will keep them in games. Constantly during this season, the, like the Ravens have managed to be in these really dirty, close games because the defense is just having a very underrated uh, season overall. Uh, and it starts with like a lot of just players who just know what they're doing and just continually do it and are being quite effective that way, uh, whether that's Mosley, Webb, Jernigan, or indeed the, like Weddle. So for me, like, like like a few weeks ago, I was completely befuddled by the Ravens when they were on their winning streak. Like I, I like I actually like lost, was lost for words. But I think like the streak that we've seen here kind of reflects better where they are. Four and four better reflects where they are. They're a team that will play every single team in the NFL close, give them a tough game. But because of their offense, they oftentimes they just won't be able to finish them off. So for me, that that's where they are, and that keeps them competitive in the AFC North, which is just terrible this year. But we'll see if that's enough to actually get them into the playoffs at the end of the season. Browns are only four games back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose with that, we move on actually, to the Browns are the Browns are five games back. Five games. They haven't had a bye yet. Oh right, fair enough. Uh, that's five, not, five and a half actually. Now that I think about it, lost to all of them. But yeah, so uh, we're running a bit tight on time, so we won't do questions. So what we'll do is we'll hop straight into our picks for next week. So first game up is uh, the Cleveland Browns at the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, we've all taken Baltimore across the board. Uh, why is that, Harry? What Ronan just said about Baltimore being a team who can give anyone a fight, and Cleveland are a team who have no fight whatsoever. Um, we already saw, like... Cleveland go up massively against Baltimore and then Baltimore is able to overwhelm them. I don't see why anything's going to be anything has changed that would make Baltimore worse than they were in that game. I don't see much of this change that would make Cleveland better than they were in that game. Cleveland are just a, a sad team who are so close to being like not that bad, but just keep finding ways to mess up. And Baltimore are a team that keep making teams find ways to mess up. It's just a bad, bad combination for Cleveland. Yeah, like we've got an early contender here for dumpster fire already, I think. KC yeah. uh, at Carolina. I've taken KC. Harry's taken Carolina. And Fitz has taken KC. Why Carolina, Harry? You know, it's a weird one. It's uh, just got a feeling. It's one of those games you look at it and you're like, mm, you just feel Carolina are in desperation mode a bit. And KC are struggling with the injuries now. I think Macklin might be gone. I don't know what the status is on him there. Day to day, I think. Day to day, yeah. We still don't know if Ware will be back. Um, Alex Smith should be back, but you know, again, he'll, he'll, he'll miss some time. So on that basis, I'm just looking at it, and I'm like, look, I think this is a Carolina team that is in absolute desperation mode, and is a team that has a lot of talent, and is also a team that is able to put up, generally speaking, a lot of points. Now they didn't manage it against the Rams, but look, games against the Rams are weird. The reason I'm giving the edge to Carolina here is that I feel like this could be the kind of game that at, at Carolina might turn into a bit of a shootout. And KC right now are not a team in a position to keep up there. Now, there's every chance that KC will be able to, to make the game into what they want to. But if KC aren't able to control the game and control the clock and control that, Carolina could just put up more points than KC had in them. And I think that's what I'm leaning towards happening. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, my thoughts on this are, I think 
Kansas City have the better team, but they are traveling to them. And like you say, the injuries are there. Where, at the moment, they're expecting him to play, but we haven't had an official call. Smith is playing. That's been announced. Um, but obviously, they can do that because he wasn't actually in any protocol type thing. They've activated Justin Houston, although I do not expect to see much out of him in this game, if anything at all. Um, but yeah, like the, the main one, I think offensively that is a concern is we want to know what the story on Jeremy Macklin is because that's very important uh, as we said there's there's two or three playmakers on there but you need a solid number one who you can just use as a reliable target and Alex Smith being back is good uh, I think the Kansas City defense should be able to control the pace of the game a bit more here uh, like it'll take someone spying on Cam Newton but I think it should be there I think it'll be a close game uh, I think Kansas City also have a tendency, as we've seen the last couple of games, to take the take the foot off the gas towards the back end. And this is a team in Carolina that if you give them an opening, even if it's only a 10-minute opening, they can score quickly. So we need to see a full 60-minute game plan from Kansas City for them to be successful here. But I'm going to pick them to stay here and that this will also then be the death nail in uh, Carolina's hopes of making the postseason. Denver at New Orleans. Uh, I've gone New Orleans. Harry, you've gone New Orleans. And Fitz, you've gone Denver. Fitz, why Denver? Yeah, like, like New Orleans have had a good run of form. I think they've done quite well. But I kind of have a feeling that if you keep Tlaib actually managed to make it back to this game, that the Denver defense should have enough to contain through Brees. And like, while the Denver offense has been a bit anemic recently, I imagine against the New Orleans defense, they should have enough to rack up those points. Like The New Orleans defense has certainly improved from an absolute dumpster fire uh, form from the beginning of the season, but I still don't think it's good enough to contain uh, any like contain any team to like less than twenty points. And I think twenty points could be enough for Denver. That's interesting. I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought twenty points would be enough in this scenario. But Harry, uh, why New Orleans? Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of be thinking the opposite of Ronan. Actually, the loss of Derek Wolf is, is is very significant for Denver um, in terms of the middle of that line. And I think that frees up more guys to pay basically more attention to Von Miller, who's really just at this point the last man standing of the of the great defenders they have there in the front seven. Like, where's gone? Wolf's gone. Miller's the guy on the line now, so I think they can pay a lot more attention to him, uh, even with their struggles. Um, New Orleans have got some pieces coming back. Bro is back. They've got Sheldon Rankins back. So the defense might be a little bit better. But also, this is an offense that's just hitting stride. This is an offense that has so many weapons and has figured out how to use them. Uh, there's no like sort of standout superstar in there, but you look at guys like Michael Thomas, Brandon Cooks, Ingram, even Tim Hightower, have all shown that they can be playmakers. And when you have a Drew Brees, a Kobe Fleener too, when you have Drew Brees with that many weapons around him, that's very, very dangerous. And at home, I think, with the way New Orleans are playing, it's similar to the, the Carolina thing, except I'm even a little more confident in this. I think that they're just going to put up more points than Denver have in them, even with that Denver defense. Yeah, so next game up is uh, Los Angeles Rams at New York Jets. I've gone Jets. Harry's gone 7 and 9 bullshit, which this week is. The Rams. And uh, Fitz has gone for the Jets. So I suppose, why the Rams, Harry? Um, this is more like a Bryce Petty, really. Um, this is gonna, not going to be a good game. The Jets might not have a quarterback. The Rams definitely don't have a quarterback. It's gonna, this is, I think this is going to be a scrappy, low-scoring, ugly kind of game, which is what the Rams want. Um, I also just don't trust the Jets to, you know, like we saw what happened against Miami. Like They're just a team you can't rely on right now, um, whereas the Rams are certainly turgid, but when they feel like it, have shown that they can be efficient. And I think the Jets are a kind of, the kind of team right now that you can beat 
just by playing relatively efficient, mistake-free football. Like, let's not try and get Case Keenan to force the ball down the field. Let's just keep pounding away and, and try and break them down. And that's what, you know, that's what happened in the in the Miami game. Uh, after initially struggling in the, on the ground, they eventually just wore the Jets out. And I think that uh, LA are kind of team who are set up to do exactly that kind of thing. So I would give the edge to the Rams in this one. Yeah, like I can see that. Uh, I do think it'll be interesting to see the outcome of if, if, if Fitzmagic will be able to play or not. Uh, presuming not, so Bryce Petty's there. One of the main elements in this rationale is this is almost the furthest a team can travel to have to play an away game in, in the NFL as long as you're playing within America. I think that's going to affect them badly. I think the Jets have the type of defense that can deal with a essentially non-existent quarterback and are relying heavily on run game where it looks to me... As much as Gurley is still an incredible running back, it looks to me like he's lost faith in a lot of his O-line. He's not making the cuts or the stutter steps he was beforehand. I can see that being a problem, and I'm with you 100% in it being a low-scoring, ugly game where no one really stands out. In that scenario, though, I'm going to take the home team who doesn't have to travel the entire length of the country to do it, probably winning by two points in a 9-7 to seven shootout. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> lots of interceptions, lots of sacks. Yeah, just lots and lots of messy crap. Um, Green Bay at Tennessee. We've taken Green Bay across the board. Why is that fits? Like Tennessee, they're, they're feisty. They have a lot. But I think Green Bay, especially coming off that loss to Indianapolis, will be revved up. And in this case, I actually think playing away from home might actually be an advantage for Green Bay. I think they need to get out of Lambeau to show what they have on the road. They've been very up and down. I think this is a game they should be up. Uh, though, obviously, this is a lot closer than we might have expected when we saw this at the start of the season. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I'll be interested to see how the Green Bay defense deal with that run game. Uh, Atlanta at Philadelphia. This is Ronan's pick of the week. Uh, we've taken Atlanta across the board. So tell us a little bit about this game, Ronan. Yeah, like this is one of those, those interesting games. Like Atlanta and Philadelphia uh, both well in the hunt in their respective divisions and, of course, within the kind of wider wildcard race. Atlanta, slightly less relevant to that, they should be able to win their division. But like Philadelphia are coming after, are, are coming off. Uh, a series of heartbreakers uh, within their division. This is a must-win game for Philadelphia, you have to imagine, to keep themselves relevant in a division which is looking very feisty. Obviously, the Cowboys in the top and the Giants showing a bit of form and Washington obviously having some form themselves. So from the Philadelphia perspective, they've been close in these games, they've been competitive in these games, at least coming into the fourth quarter, they've managed to be so. And now they're coming up against what is the hottest offense in football. So, obviously, we're talking about the Atlanta offense, Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, all super on fire. And coming up against the Philadelphia defense, which has been quite inconsistent. At some points, it's looked like one of the better, best defenses in the, in the league. And in other games, it's looked kind of you know, average to, to mediocre, which is basically average. Um, so, like from my perspective, this is, the, this is the game that Philadelphia has to win for them all the chips are going in at this point because I think if they lose this they're going to lose more ground within the division considering uh, the, like considering I, I expect the Giants are likely to win and Dallas will probably win that they need to make a statement they need to show that they are competitive with the NFC as a whole for Atlanta this is about avoiding another loss this is about avoiding they've had like three losses but they've all been close they've all been ones which they probably could have won perhaps should have won so for them it's about cleaning up on a team which is on a bit of a dance note, which is off its left tackle, and seeing what they can do. So these are two competitive teams in the NFC who will be in the hunt, I hope, or I imagine, at the end of the season. And I think this will have massive repercussions in terms of seeding, in terms of division championships. And for that reason, that's my pick of the week. 
Now, Minnesota, Washington's up next. Uh, I've taken Minnesota with a question mark beside it. Uh, and Harry and Fitz, you've both taken Washington. Harry, why Washington? Why the Mazungles? Well, look, I, I, this is just more of my, I just think Minnesota are in a tailspin. They're a team that can't seem to put points on the board right now. Um, the offense is is struggling badly, and the defense is, is looking a bit more tired than it has been previously. Washington are <clears throat> still not a great team, but they're capable of winning games. They're certainly capable of taking advantage of teams that have uh, problems. So I think if you look at particularly how Minnesota struggled against Detroit, and you looked at the defense making mistakes, there were missed tackles, there were broken tackles, blown assignments that weren't happening earlier in the season, and just a result of, I think, mental and physical fatigue, where defense has been playing absolutely out of its mind for the first half of the season, plus an offense where Sam Bradford has just reverted to being Sam Bradford. There's no run game. Receivers are solid but aren't enough to, to win the game when everything else isn't working well. The O-line is a shambles. It's just difficult to see Minnesota winning right now until we see them actually win a game and find a new way to win games. So until we see that, it's going to be very difficult I think, to pick Minnesota against in any way competent opposition. Yeah, like the, the the main rationale for me taking them here is that I think I think they've still they've still got the talent that was there that we saw at the start of the season. They've been a little bit lost because their offense went and did absolutely fuck all for the last while. Uh, what I do think is this will be the first game where we've seen. The new offensive coordinator, the previous uh, quarterbacks coach, taking over and actually having a full week to prep with this team. We're going to see if that'll actually make any changes to the offense. Like what I see in Washington is a massively up and down team that you're not sure whether they're going to perform or collapse. And if they start to put any pressure on them, if they actually have their defense perform at even 50% of what it did beforehand, I think those struggles that Washington will experience will energize them and possibly a little bit of a change in the way that they run this offense, which is a big ask. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a coin flip here. I'm expecting to see something slightly different out of the offense now. Uh, and if they get that, then I think they have a chance in this game. Also, I think this is very important for them in terms of trying to stay pace and stay in their position uh, in terms of the playoff race as well. Houston at Jacksonville's up next. We've taken Houston across the board. Fitz, why Houston? Because they're a better team and Jacksonville are completely trash right now. Then again, we thought that when Jacksonville went to London. This is my classic. Pick the pick one way, think the other. But yeah, like mm. Houston should win. But Houston are terrible away from home. So we'll see what happens. This is not going to be a good game. That's my only accurate prediction. Yeah, I, I, would, be, I would be expecting a high-scoring garbage game here. Uh, Chicago at Tampa Bay. You've taken Chicago across the board. Why is that, Harry? Uh, large because we didn't want to talk about this game, so we all just agreed to agree with each other. Look, it, it's two poor teams... But recently, I think Chicago have looked like they're trending a little bit in the right direction, while Tampa Bay just look utterly, utterly lost. This really could go either way. Like, one of the teams could just come out and take control, but just based on the current trends and the current form and the fact that Jay Cutler seems to, once again, be doing just enough to make sure he doesn't get traded, uh, I'm going to give the edge to Chicago here. Yeah, we've got Miami at San Diego. Uh, we've taken San Diego across the board. I think this could be a very interesting game. Very good young defense in San Diego. Miami seem to have found an identity on offense. But I think San Diego have proven themselves to be quite a high-quality team. They're, they've shown that against high-quality opponents in the wins they've gotten. Miami are still relatively one-dimensional. They don't trust the quarterback. Uh, they're on the road here, and I think San Diego will have enough both offensively and defensively to... to, to Put the uh, put a halt onto Miami uh, Miami train. Uh, San Francisco at Arizona. We've taken Arizona across the board. Why is that fits? Take the worst running deep run D in the league. Take David Johnson. Put them together. 
Arizona win. That's basically all you need to know. Like, San Fran are so bad, they have literally just resorted to cheating. No, there yes, was, I what, forgot it, this. There's like a massive active, yeah, the, like last week, because they were so afraid of Drew Brees, they effectively held all his receivers to stop, to run the clock down before halftime, give up a five-yard penalty so they get the kick like, without scoring a touchdown. Oh. But like in, th- in this case, like San Francisco, like what's the streak now of a hundred yard rushers they've allowed? I think it's like seven, like seven, seven in a row that they've allowed a hundred yard rush. And some of them but are like, scrubs. Fuzzy yeah. Whitaker, Fuzzy Whitaker ran for a hundred yards on them. So like, David Johnson, like one of the top three running backs in the league, will just smush them. And Arizona right now don't trust Carson Palmer, so they'll be more than happy to let them. Oh, 100%. Uh, next up, Dallas at Pittsburgh. I've taken Pittsburgh. Uh, Harry and Fitz have taken Dallas. Uh, so I suppose I'll, I'll explain the Pittsburgh pick because I'm, I'm getting funny looks here in the room. Uh, Pittsburgh historically played terribly on the game following Ben Roethlisberger's return from injury and then also historically play incredibly well following that. They have an excellent record following losses, especially large losses that they shouldn't have had in the first place. Bad games by Pittsburgh tend to be followed by very good games by Pittsburgh. Uh, It's at home. I think they do have the quality on that offense if Big Ben is healthy. We saw they could do in the fourth quarter, although that was against essentially a defense, uh, prevent defense rather than anything else. Dallas are very good. I just think Pittsburgh know, and well, I'll be talking about this briefly uh, later, but like they know that they need to start to win some of these games to keep progressing. Dallas have to lose at least one or two games. I don't see them being a 15-1 and one team. I think this could be the one that they lose. Traveling up north, away at Pittsburgh, it's a quite an intimidating uh position to be in, the terrible towels, the horrible fans. <laughs> but the food, the unyielding <laughs> rubbery food. Uh, the, the misery, the uh, but you yeah, know, Pittsburgh they've got they've got the people there on offense to do things to this Dallas team that they haven't really seen that much of. As long as Big Ben is healthy, he tends to come out after injuries strong, so I think that's why they might just squeeze it here. Fitz, I'll go to you on this one. Why? Dallas for that they went through, they'll need to stop uh, Ezekiel Elliott. And I don't think there's any team, well, there's a, like only a handful of teams that can stop Ezekiel Elliott. And I don't think Pittsburgh defense is one of them. So I imagine that if he establishes a run game, which I imagine he will, then Dallas will be able to control the game, take the game away from Ben Roethlisberger and their deep attack, and basically keep them off the, keep them off the field as long as possible. And, and, and from that perspective, if they do that, they're going to win, or they're most likely to win. I think Dallas just looked like a complete team on offense. And I think like the defense is suspect enough that you might get a few scores there, but I think Dallas will control the game enough and keep eat it off the clock that it won't be right, it won't be enough for Pittsburgh in the end. Fair enough. I'm a little concerned, Connor, when you uh to what Ben Roethlisberger coming back to do things to the Dallas team, potentially <laughs> against their will, allegedly. Oh, God, allegedly, allegedly, with his grey penis that you told me about. Yeah, he's got a grey penis. <laughs> Bigger than Brett Favre's, but, but grey. Uh, next game, uh, probably the game of the previews, uh, Seattle at New England. Uh, this is going to be a great one. Harry's picked this for his game. Just in advance, I've taken New England, Harry's taken New England, and Fitz has taken Seattle. So tell us a bit about, tell us a bit about this game there, Harry. Well, this is an important game. Uh, these are two probably playoff-bound teams, realistically. Not perhaps the most massively important for New England, so much as Seattle in terms of the actual result, but I think very important um, for us as fans watching to see where these teams are at, and also for the coaches to see where their players are at and players and so on. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting. 
It's also the first time in a long time that Seattle are actually coming to Foxborough instead of New England playing in Seattle. So that's going to be interesting to see how that affects it. Seattle obviously tend to historically play very well at home and have a very difficult one to go to. Um, so being on the road, not having that advantage is something that you'd possibly look at being in New England's column insofar as those things can be said uh, to affect games. It's also interesting because Seattle now, we're seeing them, they look like they're rounding into form a little bit. They've looked, that was probably the best performance from Russell Wilson we've seen in a very long time uh, last week, even if the run game, even if the run game looked absolutely appalling. Um, but overall, I think we're looking at, like, uh, this is, this, these are two, like, top teams, really. Like, this is, this is probably the best team in the AFC playing a, a very strong NFC team. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see where those things are at. It's going to be interesting to see how New England and Tom Brady deal with Seattle's pass rush, although they may still be without Bennett. Uh, so that might not be quite as good as it's been, but, you know, um, historically, uh, the way to beat Tom Brady has been to blitz him so heavily he can't get into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Seattle are the kind of team who can do that. However, we're also seeing a Seattle team that, while still defensively very talented, is a lot more wobbly than it is. We're seeing a New England receiving core that's probably more talented than it's been for a while. There's a possibility, albeit faint, of Dion Lewis making a return at this stage, although that's very much up in the air and probably less uh, less likely than it is but we're basically, this is just going to be fascinating to see that New England offense against the Seattle defense. That's what everyone expects. But also, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this new, more more adaptable Seattle offense taking on a uh, robust New England defense. That while it certainly isn't world-beating, has given teams um, a lot of trouble. It's going to be interesting to see how Seattle receivers deal with with uh, the likes of Malcolm Butler and uh, whether or not they can get a running game going with the likes of Dante Hightower and Landon Roberts uh, prowling around in the middle of the field. This is going to tell us a lot about both teams because uh, they are quite strong. The one thing I think that's going to give the edge to New England is simply that the offense right now is playing at such a high level that even with without one piece that tips Seattle's pass rush and so on in front seven from being great to merely pretty good, that's the kind of marginal difference that New England are good enough to basically take advantage of, find that giving giving them that advantage. So right now, I just think the New England look like the more complete team. They look like the more offensively capable team. They look like a team that's solid enough defensively to deal with a, again, more adaptable perhaps Seattle uh, offense, but also weaker than it has been for a while Seattle offense. So on that basis, I will be saying that New England will win what will be a tough and entertaining game, but ultimately one where they find their rhythm and are able to get comfortable and let Tom Brady do his thing. Mm. Last game up we've got is Cincinnati at the New York Giants. Uh, I've picked this as my game of the week, which is a bit of a surprising one, but bear with me. I've gone Cincinnati and Harry and Fitz have both gone for the Giants. So Bengals are 3-4-1 and one, and the Giants are 5-3. and three. This is a battle of a kind of potential also-rans looking to get back on top. Bengals are only a half game away from leading the division here. Uh, Giants are only two games back, but they're also not 100% convincing so far this season. They've been up and down. So, like, there's a couple of very big matchups in this game to consider. So we've got Hill and Bernard, who are working very well as kind of a thunder and lightning back set uh, against this New York front seven, which has performed quite well over recent weeks. We've got AJ Green and now Tyler Eifert, who went off well in the London game against uh, Rogers, Cromartie, Jenkins and Eli Apple kind of cornerback group, which should be interesting to see as well. What we're looking for in this game, because there's obviously high stakes here, a win will push the Bengals up to tie for top of their division or top of their division, I believe. Uh, and the Giants, they need this to stay in the running to try and win theirs. We need to see, see Cincinnati's defense perform because they have all the talent in the world roster wise and we talk about this quite a lot but 
They're currently 20th in yards allowed and 18th versus the pass. This is exactly the scenario where they can turn that around. They do not need to focus on the run whatsoever. Uh, by a distance, the New York Giants are the worst at running the ball. They've only got 500 and something rushing yards this entire season. So they can focus in on the pass game and try and make a difference there. Like This is, this is the thing about this game. Both of these teams need a win to keep their playoff drives alive, but not just their hopes alive for the playoffs, but also to push for upper-end competition for that playoffs, for home field advantage, for getting a bye week. This has a massive impact on the postseason, and these are two teams with rosters that should be able to turn a corner and start a strong second half, and they're both going to be looking to do it in this game. So with the impact on the postseason and the impact on how these teams are going to play down the stretch, I think this is going to be a very important game uh, going forward. So while it's not my maybe two favourite teams to watch, uh, I think it's going to be quite an interesting matchup. Um, although it is prime time, so it's probably going to be garbage. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, so that's the games for this week. Unfortunately, we didn't get any of your questions, but we have a little bit of a long pod this week. So, uh, you know, deal with it. We'll try and prior a few more of them into the next one. Um, any crack of yourselves, lads? I suppose uh, we're all getting ready now to, to start watching the potential collapse of the free world tonight. Uh by the time you hear this, you'll already know the result of the U.S. election, but that's what we're now looking into for the, the rest of the The collapse of the free world as endorsed by the entire New England Patriots organization. Oh, my God, why? I love it. The, the, the response was, was brilliant where Trump complained about Clinton having uh, John Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen and everything else. It cheapens the politics. But let me tell you, this Tom Brady kid, he really likes me. And then he, he explained when he asked Tom Brady about whether or not he could tell people what Tom had said to him. Tom was like... Well, I, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, obviously now Giselle, Tom Brady's wife, has said that Tom Brady does not support Donald Trump. Uh, I believe that Tom Brady does what his wife tells him to, to be honest with you. She is the, she's the breadwinner. She's the breadwinner, yeah. So there you go. But oh, God, I don't know what I don't know what has gone wrong. I don't know why Bill Belichick is writing letters. Apparently now the letter is real, according to... Well, there is the, there is the thing, isn't it, that Bill Belichick claims he responds to all correspondence. Yeah, uh, it's the language in the letter that's, that's 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 confusing. It doesn't seem like Bill Belichick wrote it. I have no idea what's going on anymore. I'm embarrassed of the Patriots at this point uh, over this. Um, that's why you're becoming a Browns fan. <sighs> no? I don't hate myself <laughs> that much. Well, plus that, I don't think there's a single person involved in the Browns who is good or famous enough to impact any form of election. Johnny Manziel. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's going to be an interesting night. Um, we are obviously horrific European effect communist liberals. So uh, fuck Trump. I hope he loses. I hope he loses badly. Uh, and yeah, I hope he is consigned to the dustbin of history that he so richly deserves. God, if he wins, I, I don't know. We're just going to scrap this whole pod and just like replace it with an hour of crying. Yeah, I said like because if he wins, we're probably not going to have much more America or much more <laughs> American football. So like. Like so, pivot into like professional tennis or something. Like just get find something else that we like. I don't. Know, I don't like, like tennis, man. Like, I don't. I don't. I, I I enjoy watching, it, but I couldn't be. I think I like watching it when it's like two really good players. I don't know why anyone watches early rounds of yeah, tennis. Yeah, more watch like the equivalent of the Cleveland Browns versus Tennessee Titans of tennis. Oh good god! Like what's that? Like the hundred and twenty sixth round, <laughs> like Ukrainian player takes on. <laughs> But it's on the number one English player. Yeah, <laughs> oh, level, isn't it? What uh, What are yourself? Are you going to stay up tonight to watch it, or are you going to go to sleep and get up early to catch it? Or uh, I'll just see what the result is. I did it with breakfast. It worked well uh, for me. 
uh, everyone else seemed to have a really bad day yeah. during the Brexit uh, referendum, so I might just sleep in. Like, like me being awake won't change the result effectively. So. I know, but it's I know, hang on a minute, you don't, don't know, know that. You don't know that, Ronan. Well, I suppose by the rules of like, the Copenhagen interpretation, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Not, if you combine, like, the, what's the slipism? Solipsism. If you combine that with the Copenhagen interpretation, I suppose then it might might actually matter if I watch Absolutely. It. Mm. Just two things, like two other things that have happened that we, we didn't get around, like the Cubs won, apparently. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, shout out to the, the Cubs, good job. Uh, I know you're, you're our, like Connor, uh, an old friend of yours and ours, Connor O'Brien, he, I'm sure he's happy for that, he's an old Cubs fan, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah, he actually sent me an email about it on uh, on Saturday, because he was saying about the Cubs win and also how, uh, how Ireland were playing then down in that stadium that weekend, but... Um, yeah, no, it was a good win. They broke, was it 108 years? Yeah. yeah. So, the ghost. The, the goat curse, whatever. Yeah, the goat curse. Maybe uh, that maybe that guy who caught the fly ball when he wasn't meant to oh pop in the last one might, poor start, bastard. He might start getting death threats now. <laughs> and uh, the, the, other, the other thing, I, like the only like other little snippet of news I saw, uh, Mo Wilkerson uh, skipped a walkthrough, but apparently the defensive, the defensive team had a birthday cake for him. Managed to miss that as well. Oh, I bet he's more annoyed about missing cake than missing practice. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm sure. I'm sure. Maybe they just flew in Eddie Lacy for a uh, <laughs> for a slot. This, this is a question I've had because we were discussing earlier that the Green Bay don't have a run game and that's what's negatively affecting them a lot. Like, given that they scheme to use Eddie Lacy, would they not just repurpose a defensive tackle? <laughs> oh God, probably. Oh, we saw we saw the fat man hurdle, the legendary oh. elusive fat man hurdle this week. Yeah, we, we, we saw a shot into the future in five years' time when the guard Blunt comes back into the league <laughs> and is 48 pounds heavier and still tries to hurdle people. It was beautiful to watch. I, I enjoyed his attempt to like stick the landing and then his leg just going, nope, can't cope, no, yeah, that, was, that was the thing, he wasn't even tackled. He Great hurdled man. the guy successfully and then when he landed, his leg was like, oh, I didn't realise there was this much of me above me. <laughs> It was beautiful to watch. Very entertaining. Uh, it's only plans for the weekend, boys? Other than football, obviously? No, I'll probably just, uh, you know, have a few people over at some point. Uh, I've been sort of playing a lot of board games recently because I'm a nerd. Mm. Uh, so probably a bit more of that on the weekend. I feel like I'm forgetting something. It's probably something positive. Yeah, there is probably something on. Um, yeah, I was going to say maybe... Uh, Ireland are playing Austria. Oh, we're playing Canada, aren't we, on Saturday? Oh, in the rugby, yeah. Well, in the rugby, they're playing Canada and then the soccer team is playing Austria. Two games I do not care about. Hmm, that'll be fun. Other sports, that's what you come to this NFL podcast for an hour and ten minutes in. It's Ronan's, <laughs> Ronan's other sports update, Mike, just in case you don't uh, get any. No, of course. Uh, so, Fitz, do you want to, just as we're wrapping up here, do you want to just start reading out all of your punter information <laughs> over the closing credits? Uh, not really. <laughs> no, uh, no. The only, the only punter worth knowing, and I've come to Harry's view on this, Thank is you. that Arcade King, yeah, he, He's actually brilliant. Yeah, the little, uh, the did little, you see his little uh, Bronco celebration? celebration? Yeah, yeah, that was excellent. <laughs> uh, it was fabulous. But I suppose on that note, then he was hanging. He was hanging out with uh, he was hanging out with Hillary Clinton earlier today. So mm. yeah, there you go. On uh, on that note, I suppose we'll say uh, goodbye from myself. Goodbye from Harry. Goodbye. Bye from Roman. Bye. And uh, this has been all four quarters. Uh, hit us up online. We'll catch you next week.